0: Hello, my name is Curtis Buchanan. I'm a chairmaker that lives in uh, Jonesboro, Tennessee, and this is Cut the Craft.
1: I met the chickens that you gave Will the other day.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I think it's all the way down to one chicken now.
1: <laughs> he has two little chicks too.
0: Oh he does. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh,
1: but those ones aren't from you.
0: No, not the chicks. I gave him the two chickens and the chicken tractor.
1: Oh, yeah, one of the chickens got eaten by a yeah, hawk, I think. By a hawk,
0: yeah. I'm just not a good animal. What? You know, it's it's just one of those things where <clears throat> the idea is much better than the reality, which is what we find all the time and uh And when you realize that, the best thing to do is to stop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian.
2: And I'm Amy.
0: And I'm Curtis. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And you're Curtis.
1: I love that Tim Tim did the same thing. Uh, That makes me really happy. Maybe it's a (laughs) chairmaker's tip.
2: Okay, so Curtis... First of all, thanks for being on the show. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you make? You said you're a chair maker, but maybe you can go a little more in depth and describe how you how you make chairs.
0: Okay. Well, what I, what I make or what I specialize in are are Windsor chairs, but uh uh really it's 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 greenwood chair making is is what I like to say that I do because uh, i worked the wood or, or greenwood chairmakers make work the wood straight from the log um, and uh, so it's it's uh, almost all hand tools and and that's what really got me got me into it because didn't have uh, really any money to get started with and i had just fallen head over heels in love with these couple of hand tools the shaving horse and a draw knife and the fro, and uh, well, first I'll tell you what a a Windsor chair is. A Windsor chair is a chair that has a plank seat, a wooden seat, typically carved, and all the parts stop at the seat. So in other words, the the back legs don't continue on up to form the back of, of the chair. So, I mean, really, you've got two different types of chairs, and one of them would be a post and run, which would be a ladder back type chair. Mm-hmm. And then you have a Windsor chair, and in the post and rung chair, you make the frame, and then the last thing you do is you put the seat in. In a Windsor chair, you don't have anything but a pile of sticks, uh, <laughs> <if> you, <laughs> when you uh, unless you add the, add the seat. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's there. There's a hybrid between the two, uh, but really every chair ever made is comes under those two headings. So, Mm. so there's not, you know, there's only two ways to keep your butt 18 inches off the floor, (laughs) (laughs) but it starts out with, uh, with picking out a log. And, and I love this whole, this whole process and, 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 and even the the social aspect of it, you know, you go to a, a, a small sawmill and, uh, there's a guy, there's a bunch of guys that I deal with, but, uh, one of them in particular is, is is Brian, and he's this real good old country guy, and we have this great conversation every time I go out there. And our negotiation on the log is is almost I always enjoy it. It's almost <laughs> hilarious, you know. <clears throat> you know, I go out there and I look at it, and I, there was a there was a uh, he had a big old log out there one day. I was looking for seat material, uh, so I, I I have him saw the seat material, and. I look at it and I go, what kind of log is that, Brian? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, you think it's one of them Siberian elms? And he goes, could be. So <laughs> well, I've been wanting to try one of those out for seats, but you know, I hate to take too much of a chance. And he goes, I understand that. And so all this is negotiating on what's the price of
3: the log. <laughs> 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 and, and,
0: and finally he says, "Well, I'll sell it for you for a hundred and fifty dollars, and I say, "Well, that's that sounds good. Why don't you do that?" So then, so then, when I go out there to get it, I always pay him like fifty dollars more. So, mm-hmm. so we have this negotiation, and then I pay him a little bit, a little bit extra. So he always takes care of me in the in the future, and, uh, <laughs> and it's just I, I love that whole process. I, just, mm-hmm. I I don't know if he sees it the same way I see it or, or, or not. I have no, we've never talked about it. I have no idea, but it just happens like that. So it's funny. Huh? <laughs> so, as in,
1: like maybe he's looking. As in, he's looking at it as, oh yeah, there's this guy, and then he talks me way down to where I can barely make a living, and then he throws in a tiny little tip, and it's just such an insult.
3: <laughs> yeah, that might be it. <laughs> I hate it when he shows that. <laughs> yeah it could be
0: but uh oh, but anyway it's uh, uh that, that's that's all fun and then uh so i so for the backs and spindles like i might look for a good white oak or a hickory or an ash and I, mm-hmm. uh and then they they load it on my truck which about crushes it and I, <laughs> I bring it back to the to the uh shop and i tie a chain around it and i tie it around this maple tree that's right at the right at the shop and i Pull it out and jerk it out of the truck, and and then it lays there tied to this maple tree with this. So this log is tied to a chain, you know, and and it's the joke. People walk by it and they look at it and say, you "Don't want that log to get away, do you?" Guys? <laughs> 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 this definitely
1: sounds like some kind of Far Side comic. Right. <laughs> right.
0: And uh, and then you start splitting it up with wedges and hammers and uh, and get it down in a fro. Is a riving tool. A rive is a controlled split, and that's that's what you do when you get it down fairly small. Mm. And then and then that's where I get to start using the draw knife and the shaving horse to shape the parts. And then there's some parts that are turned also, uh, but uh, but the whole process is nice and uh, it's quiet. There's uh, I do have a a power lathe and a uh, and a bandsaw. Those are my two uh, power tools, but. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, you know, a lathe is really a hand tool. Anyway, it's the only stationary power tool that goes back four thousand years, and anyway. it's the only stationary power tool where you hold where you hold the cutter. So, so uh-huh. what's turning it around is exactly what's, you know. It's just been you know, it could have been a uh, a mule, or it could have mm-hmm. been water, or electricity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the identical tool. The bandsaw, of course, didn't exist, and. uh but it saves some grunt work, but <laughs> but most of the other work is uh, is uh, just this nice, quiet uh, shaving of, of of wood that I really enjoy, and uh, and that's what got me interested in it in the first place. That and the fact that uh, I could get into it without investing much much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could Always talk, a plus. <laughs> yeah, I could talk somebody into to uh, let me cut down a a tree. Uh, get a log and uh, uh, and then start start working it. So, but it was the you know it was these tools that I that I wanted to work with and uh, and 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 I think that maybe that's one reason one of the reasons why I haven't ever got tired of it after 40 years or almost 40 years of of doing it uh, every day. Uh, mm-hmm and uh, I still just can't wait to get down to the shop and use these tools. Uh, I think maybe if it, if it had been the chair itself that had have attracted me from the beginning, and I wanted to make this chair, then maybe, that, maybe things would have been different. Maybe my, my emphasis would have been more on the, on the end product. Uh, mm-hmm. and not on the process. And, <clears throat> and I know that, you know, this, this whole thing about the end product and the process gets beat to death, but it's true. <laughs> you know, it is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just love this process. I just, I just love it. And what, uh,
2: How does it make you feel? So what I've heard from <clears throat> nearly everybody we've talked to is that like, it's about the process. It's about the process, you know? Um, Especially for people who are using, including ourselves, including <laughs> ourselves, you know. And I'm like, is that like? I just feel like there's something else to that, like um, that could be explained. It's it's sort of just like saying, you know, the sky's blue because it's blue or something. You know, like there's yeah. there's like more there's something about that that I want to sort of delve into deep more deeply. And it right. so how does it make you feel when you're when you're, you know, enjoying the process, does it make you feel like just more connected to your body and to the, and to the material, or does it feel like you're in control of something? Like, what is that?
0: Uh, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it's, um, um, I know there's a, there's a silversmith, and I don't know if you've ever read some of this stuff It's Bruce Bruce. Metcalf. Metcalf.
3: Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah, And he
0: wrote, uh, the, 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 the hand at the heart of craft. Uh, and it's a real heady essay. It's really Mm -hmm. long and heady, but I just, I just love it. And I reread it about every five years. And, and there's stuff in there that he says that, that expresses what I, what I feel where I have trouble expressing Mm -hmm. it. But, Mm but, uh, there's there's some stuff where he talks about and and to to put it into my realm, it would be, say say uh, some of the turning that I do that I do on the lathe, that that uh, uh, to to pull off some of the stuff that I do it takes years and years of of just repetition repetition mm-hmm. just doing it over and over and over and over again. But that's not the only thing. It it also has to have this element to where you never own it. There's always a risk involved, and I think risk is is mm-hmm. the word. And mm-hmm. and uh, there has to be this this risk involved. But if but if I blew fifty percent of my turnings, then it would be frustrating and it wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. But if you only blow 1% or 5% of whatever it is that you're doing but you're able to pull it off almost every time if everything's on the 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 skill required to do it is so high and so high level but you have practiced so long to be able to gain this skill mm-hmm. that that uh, that it takes your total concentration it takes the tool being perfect it takes everything being perfect and whenever that all comes mm-hmm. Together, uh, you really uh, uh, just—it's—it's lo- it's almost a form of meditation. You—you mm. you, you, when you when you finish it, you feel invigorated, not beat. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and and even when I when, when when I blow it, I mean it still happens. In fact, just the other day, I was making a chair, and uh, and the the skew chisel caught. Uh, I was I was turning a, an arm support, and the skew chisel caught on the on the lay, and it's ruined. You know, I was right at the end of the turning, <clears throat> which is always where it happens. You know, and, <laughs> uh, you know it, 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 it totally, you know it ruined it, it ruined it, and uh, that's that's but but it it doesn't bother me, and and I don't think that it bothers any of these craftspeople that are working at that at that level because they know this is going to happen. You know, it. Mm-hmm. They, they they, may pull off a hundred in a row, but it's going to happen because you can't be on that good all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, all you do is you just take your eye off of it for a split second, relax too much just for a split second and it's gone. And, uh, and so, you know, there's no throwing the tool. There's no stomping around. There's no cussing. You take it off. Open up the wood stove, throw it in there. Mm-hmm. Go get you another piece of wood, <laughs> uh, and uh, but 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 I think to, you know that's trying to answer your 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 question about yeah. about what it uh, uh, what it does. Um, I mean, you really forget about about time, and you forget about mm-hmm. everything else too. And I and I think that is um, something. I mean, I know one of your other other questions is is um uh what do you wish people not involved in your craft knew about it Mm -hmm. and it's not just people outside of my craft i think people working in the 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 craft world know it Mm
4: -hmm. but
0: but and and i think maybe and and outside of it maybe you know musicians and uh Mm -hmm. my daughter and son-in-law both are, are Musicians and their singers and one thing they really like is uh, Is big choral music they like to sing with choirs that are serious mm-hmm. And they say whenever everything is on and they're singing a difficult piece, but everybody's nailing it They say they get that feeling mm. uh, you know, oh. So it's <clears throat> it's it's there also uh, in and in dance and Lots of other things, and maybe it's even in areas that 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 I know nothing about. Maybe you know, scientist or chemist or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, I I could see that maybe they could also uh, go to this place, but mm-hmm. uh, but but I don't think everybody has that, and I wish they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it's like you know being out in the desert and looking up at the stars and seeing them for the for the first time if you live in the city Mm. Uh, you know that's Mm. that's that's what what it's like yeah so
1: yeah it's kind of like that um i mean it's repetitive but at the same time it can like you said that little risk factor always kind of keeps you on your toes and so it's like even as soon as you let it get boring or as soon as you take it for granted, then you kind of, you know, screw something up and mm-hmm. then you're able to, You are like, Oh yeah, I, this is mm. Yeah. You're kind of like, Oh right. This is a reminder of this kind of mental state I need to get back to or whatever. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's what keeps me, keeps me going. And it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's the tools. And, and I've always felt that, you know, if I, if I, if I died right there on the, on on the spot that there would be no unfinished work
3: hmm.
0: you know what and, i just did was finished hmm. that cut that i made was finished yeah right they're, they're all, right they're all little they're all little finished products of themselves hmm. and the culmination of that makes the chair which is in a way anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know but that's quite I, I feel mean, too I certainly sometimes
0: yeah, I mean, I certainly yeah. like like uh, uh, looking at what I've just made, uh, but I like looking at it, I mean, you know, I'm not beyond patting myself on the back and saying, boy, you did a good job on that. But, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I do that too. But I'm also looking at it, you know, very critically, even if I've made the chair over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us, no matter what it is, that we're making something about what we just made is not is not settling right with us.
3: Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, there's always some detail. Yeah. I know. I mean, at least for me, with every every book that I've made, there's always just something where I'm just like, I just wish that was a little different. I got to yeah. pay attention to that more next right. time. Yeah. And then yeah. Why you?
0: Yeah. Why didn't I pay attention to that when I had
3: the chance? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. But no. then, but what's so interesting is I know uh, I talked with spent time talking with bill oyster who is a um an engraver and uh, bamboo fly rod maker and he and i had an interesting talk where i mean basically it just kind of had to do with this very thing where every time you finish something you always see something that you could do better uh-huh. and so it doesn't you kind of work on that little thing but then you know if i were to look at the books that i am making now 10 years ago I probably would be floored and so excited. Like, I can't believe I could make a book that looks like that. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then every time, but at each step along the way, there's always that perfect amount of like satisfaction during the process, satisfaction at completing something, and then just enough of like a challenge to make you want to dive into the next one mm-hmm. and be like, try to do it just a little bit better mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the one before. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's great, you know. Yeah. I, I, I love it, and you know, Maryland, Maryland's my wife, and uh, Maryland's always been real good about, you know, making me limit my time in the in the shop uh, because I could easily stay there way too way too long. Uh, <laughs> you know uh so does know. that
1: mean you keep regular hours or does do. she just keep you on your toes i know you have that like little telecom system yeah i keep
0: i keep regular hours and uh uh you, you know i i mean i already when i got into chair making i already had one child so it was 1983 and uh then the second one came pretty soon pretty soon after that and uh Keeping weird hours doesn't work well with the with the family. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, so especially once the kids started the school, um, it was uh, it worked out great. They caught the bus at uh, at five till seven, so we were up at five thirty every morning and getting breakfast, getting them dressed. <clears throat> I'd take them out to the bus, and then I would walk just straight on down to the backyard to the shop. Uh, after the bus picked them up, and uh, so I always I started at seven o'clock for years, and and I didn't teach a lot during that time. So that time between seven and twelve, uh, I, I I did a tremendous amount of of work got got done, and then uh, uh, and and I still now I don't get down to the shop. Oh, sometimes. 8.30, but most of the time I try to get down there at, at 8, but I still work on a schedule. I work from, uh, I work till lunch. I come up to the house at 12, and we eat, I take a nap, uh, and at 2 o'clock, uh, I, I, sometimes I go back down, most of the time I go back down to the shop, sometimes I don't. Uh, that's when I would do things around the house or or work in the garden or uh just just a variety of a variety of things so so it's still a schedule but i'm always if i do go back down to the shop uh i'm always uh i never work past six uh, mm-hmm. and, uh yeah yeah i never i, I never do there was a <coughs> there was a, a, a fella his name was daniel o'hagan and he he lived uh, uh he lived without power electricity and he was one of the original green woodworkers. I say original, original for us. Um, a lot of this information was lost <clears throat> and Daniel was one of the one of the people carrying it on. And I never got to work under Daniel. Uh uh Peter Follinsby knew him well and uh, Drew Langsner and uh, and Dave Sawyer taught me. But uh, but I did get to meet him once and uh uh he lived in uh in Lancaster County Pennsylvania I think Hmm. and uh, he uh, uh, I was uh, I was working in my basement at the time I built a house and I was working in the basement and I was going to build the shop and uh, so Daniel was asking me about my shop and I told him well I work in the basement but uh, I've got this idea for a shop but I'm not sure whether I want to put power in it now at the time I didn't have a bandsaw I just had the lathe and I said you know, all I'm using is a lathe and I could, you know, I think I could easily learn how to work with a, a foot-powered lathe uh, and then I could have photovoltaic cells for my, my lights and Daniel sort of cleared his throat and so I gave him time to say something and he's a real quiet guy and he went, well, you know, he goes, he goes. I live with the Amish. He goes, I'm not Amish, but I live with them. And they let me live with them. He goes, there's no power or anything like that. And he said one day there was a uh, tractor salesman trying to talk my neighbor into buying a tractor, and he was telling him all what the tractor could do, that the horses couldn't. And my neighbor said, "I know all about a tractor." He goes, "The feller across the way over there has one." And he said, uh, "At the end of the day, I bring my horses in or my horse in, and I rub him down, and I give him something to eat and give him water, and I come into the house and eat, And I sit out on the porch after that. And sometimes I can look across the way and I can see my neighbor plowing with his lights on and uh, <laughs> and you know I never ever forgot that, and I did end up putting electricity in the shop, but I do try to never work when well now I have to use lights because I can't see <laughs> 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 but but, <clears throat> but used to my shop was so well lit I didn't have to turn the lights on, so the goal was you know. If I had to turn the lights on, it was time to go up to the house. Yeah, you know, the day's over. It's time to come up, spend time with the family, you know, eat supper, and not go back down to the shop because you can always find a reason to go back down. Always, mm-hmm. you didn't. You're never going to get as much work done as you thought you were going to get done that morning. It's never happened <laughs> in my life. It's never <laughs> happened. But there's there's always tomorrow. There's always the next day. And so you know that you're that that you've always got that. And as long as you think like that, <clears throat> then you're not going to be in a hurry down at yeah. the shop. You know, you're going to take your time and try to do it. Try to do it right.
1: Yeah. yeah, I really like that.
2: Yeah, I do too. I it's funny because I'm I'm in the process of kind of reestablishing myself here on our farm, um, because all of my best laid plants just sort of like went down the tubes and I'm like, well, I guess I'll just stay on the farm forever. <laughs> so, so yeah. there is a building here that, um, was it, well, it was called the garage, but you couldn't fit a normal car into it anymore. It was built for like model T's or something. And, uh, then for a long time, grandma had her, all her feral cats in it. <laughs> um, and now I'm like well this would be perfect for a little workshop for me because I've never had my own space and and so yeah I'm not I'm not going to put electricity in it at all because I don't I don't need electricity I just need good light so I'm just looking for old windows to put into it and <clears> fix it up so and that's the same mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thinking for myself too it's like I don't I don't want to feel like I have to take advantage of something like I just want to go in and use what's available, um, meaning light and, um, then just be able to go home and not feel bad about it. Cause I, I can't turn off a switch or turn on a switch. It's just time to go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> So that's good. Yeah. I, I agree with that. You know?
0: Yeah. yeah. I like for the, for my work in the shop to be, just another integral part of my of my day i've always mm-hmm. tried to view it like that mm-hmm. that uh you know it's it's uh, i don't uh, you know i'm not trying to get it out of the way i'm mm-hmm. not trying to get breakfast out of the way mm-hmm. i'm not trying to get my nap out of the way i'm not trying to get all these things in my that make up my day out of the way yeah you know you're 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 enjoying the fact that you're able to do it, and it makes up a part of your day. Right. But you have to have all of it to make up a part of, a part of the day. And, uh, uh, and you know, before electricity, when it got dark, you had to stop. So <laughs> yeah, that was it, yeah. you couldn't work anymore, right. you had to stop. And then all of a sudden we could light things up, so now there's nothing to stop us mm-hmm. working ourselves to death except Mm -hmm. just, you know, yourself saying, okay, it's over. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: know, I know for me, it definitely takes, uh, the decision about electricity was made for me because I work in the other half of my living room. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just, you know, part of we're renting a place and, um, And so it really does just take sort of like a sheer willpower to just stop. I mean, Mm -hmm. as Amy even knows with the podcast, I just have a tendency to just get obsessed with something (laughs) and I just don't stop. (laughs) And, um, and so I've been, I kind of rely on cleanliness and putting things away. Like, you know, I'm kind of working on a task and I'm like, okay, this is going to be the last thing that I'm doing today. So as soon as I finish that, I just make sure to like wipe down all my work surfaces, put everything in a neat little stack, and that way when I'm you know sitting on the other side of the room with <clears throat> beer looking at my workbench, that's just inviting me back to it. I can just be like, "Nope, I already put everything away. I just have to stop today." <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think that's important even even outside, you know, you're in your living room there, but even in my shop that's detached, I think I think that's real important, and uh, mm-hmm. and that gets to one of your questions about the size of my shop. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I I worked in a lot of different uh, uh, shops prior to building mine. And, uh, and how long was, have you been in that one for? Uh, let's see, probably been in it uh, for ninety-three, probably twenty-seven. 27 years probably. Oh, and, wow, uh, okay. So I worked for 10 years uh, in just makeshift places or maybe I rented a place or mm-hmm. something. Uh, I mean, at one time when we first moved to Jonesboro, um, I, we had two kids and Marilyn's staying home with them and I didn't have uh, a place to work and I didn't have money to rent a place. And so I got the, the town Mayor and council to, to give this old log cabin to me that was uh, Andrew Jackson studied law in it or something. So it's <clears throat> it's right in the middle of town. Uh, it was actually moved there, it wasn't there before? But uh, uh, but it was locked up, and they they gave it to me, and so I worked there. But then winter came and I couldn't heat it, and we had a little shed in the back of the rent house that we were renting, and it was it was only eight feet by nine feet. Uh, and uh, and it had it had one small window, but there was this huge maple tree that had grown since that little shed had been built, and it blocked the whole entire window. Is right <laughs> up against it, so all you saw was maple bark. <clears throat> and uh, but but I ran a, a a wire out there from from the house and to plug the lathe in and uh, a light. And I worked there all winter long, and and made that work. But working in the variety of places for ten years, uh, I think uh, made it to where I knew what I wanted. Whenever I built built the shop, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's still fine after twenty three years. You know, I mean, yeah, the 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 thing people would say to you that I used to hear uh, was, "Well, now think of the." the the biggest shop that you're ever going to need, and double the size of it, and Jeez. and I always took the the view of uh, of I backpacked a lot, and always took the view of the backpacker, and that is that is uh, uh, think of the least amount of stuff that you're going to carry on this trip, and then get rid of half of it. So that was was my view at the shop, which was to think of the smallest shop you could possibly have and then cut it in half. And uh, (laughs) so it ended up being 16 by 20. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's plenty. It's plenty of space. And uh, uh, it's. You know, it's it's easier to, it's easy on everything. It's it's just easier to take care of. I mean, mm-hmm. one, one. I mean, you know, you've got all the advantages like a small kitchen that you, that, you know, your, your tool is only one step away. And so you put the tools up a, a, a lot better than you mm-hmm. would if it was a big shop because mm-hmm. it's so easy. And you have to put the tools up because you don't have all these places and surfaces to put them. Uh, but the other thing is, if something uh, like if a lamp needs to be fixed up at the house, and I take it down to the shop, it has to be fixed. There's no place for it. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a corner to put it in. <clears throat> you know, there's every every part of that shop is being utilized, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I'm and I've been I still fine tune it you know, over the over the years. I still fine tune it a little bit. Uh, but, but yeah, I like it. And I also wanted a workbench. You know, it's a real luxury for a workbench to be out in the middle of the shop instead of pushed up against the wall. Uh, but I didn't want to face a wall. You know, even if it had windows, I didn't mm-hmm. want to face it. I wanted it to be out in the middle of the shop where I could walk all the way around it. And so even though my shop is only 16 by 20, this huge workbench that's three feet by eight feet takes up most of the space. Mm-hmm. But since I don't have a table saw, which is the huge space eater in mm-hmm. most woodworker shops, you know, the table saw has to be out in the middle of the shop. And, uh, but I don't have a table saw. So mm-hmm. in fact, they scare me. <laughs> they are scary. <laughs> I had one many well, so years ago. I gave it away.
1: How does that, I mean, you mentioned that there's not, not even space in the shop for a lamp. So I know that you teach workshops out of your shop. Um, So how does that kind of work?
0: Well, I had to, uh, I used to only take one person at a time, and that was just, uh, and it was real lackadaisical. I mean, it still is, but it was really then. If somebody wanted to come for the week, then that was fine. Tell me when you want to come and what chair you want to make. And if you show up, great. And if you don't show up, that's okay. I've got plenty of work to do. And and (laughs) I, I miss that some. Uh, uh, somewhat, but, but things had to change a little bit for other reasons. But, uh, uh, but with one person in there, it was, it was, it was fine. And I've got porches and all that we could spill out to. But, uh, then some, some things changed in our, in our lives and, and I needed to, uh, look at bringing in a little bit of money through the workshops, uh, and look at them as, as, as an income maker. So, uh, I made it to where I could teach three people uh, in the shop. So I added on another porch uh, off of it. And then I did some simple things like one thing I did that gave me uh, a lot more space. And now this wouldn't make any difference at all in a big shop. But in a little shop it does. And that is I made all the doors swing out.
3: So when I first built the shop.
0: So I have three doors. I have three doors. And yeah. so, my doors used to swing in, and it, you just wouldn't believe how much space they, they demand, they take mm-hmm. up, uh, but swinging out, they, I was able to you know, gain a lot of space from that. And um, uh, then I figured out the smallest workbench that, that a student would need and had three of those built and made places for them to hide when, uh, when they slide up underneath things so yeah, it works. It's 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 tight. But uh, you know, years ago I used to teach at a variety of schools around the around the country, and uh, uh, some of those, like where I used to teach at North Bennett Street School, and this is the old school that they have. They have a new one now, but the old school that they had, uh, I mean, it was so packed that in order for me to get to students in the back of the classroom i had to walk out the door and down the hall and in another door
2: oh my gosh that's how,
0: that's how tight they were i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't get through the through the workbenches so oh, i've you. got a lot more room than than i had there um yeah. mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and 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 you know and that wasn't unusual you know you had a small work workspace um so uh so so yeah it it, it works but uh but, it, but it's tight.
4: Orange juice and toothpaste, hair dryers and baths, pineapples and milk, thunderstorms, and beach vacations. These are all things that don't go well together. But French fries and Frosties, bacon and chocolate, blue cheese and hot sauce. Finances and woodworking. These are things that go together surprisingly well. What do you mean, finances and woodworking, you may ask? Well, for starters, it's the only pair I can think of right now that isn't food-related, since I haven't eaten Din Din. Not a knock on the price of certain woods. Also, and obviously... You're not a natural at working with walnut if you're an accountant, and just because you might be good with a pull-saw does not mean you're a pro at asset allocation. On paper, finance and woodworking mesh like socks and sandals. No groaning allowed by the unfortunate souls who are so depraved they find that combination to be a valid public fashion statement. I don't care how comfy it is in the shop. But these seemingly disparate parts conflate within next episode's guest, Wita Vincent. Wita works on wood as a hobby in a barn in a part of Colorado so tucked away I won't even mention it. And she dedicates a lot of her own time to spreading her knowledge as a personal financier. She's got no need for marketing because she makes things for herself, but her intricate signature 17th century carvings and markings can be found on social media. You could say she makes her own assets. Maybe not for capital, but definitely for her own use and values. Not only does she work with Walnut, but she's crazy about walls and where her projects fit within them, too. On top of all this, she's an OBGYN physician who is well aware that scalpels and chisels are not interchangeable, even though those are yet another set of things that mesh with her abilities. She also makes some really good looking bread. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go eat some box biscuits.
2: So, uh, Curtis, you mentioned Dave Sawyer. Uh, we've we've been sort of tracking a little bit uh, green woodworking lineage. And people say, well, I learned from Curtis, and then we you know, we learned that you learned from Dave Sawyer and can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? And you said, I think he learned from Daniel Hagen. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a history lesson.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't really go much further past, past Dave. I know that, okay. uh, that Dave had contact with, with Daniel and, uh, <clears throat> and him and, uh, and Ginny Alexander, formerly John Alexander, back at that time, they had contact. Uh, but uh, but my involvement with Dave, I mean, I can't say enough about what it what it meant. It really was the difference in me being able to do this and and not. Uh, uh, Dave always said that he really didn't teach me how to make chairs, and because I didn't spend that much time with him. And, and that's true in one way, but in another way, it's not true. He, he gave me so much. He, he gave me all these short, he, it, it was a shortcut. It it would have been too long for me to learn this stuff and I wouldn't have mm. been able to survive. Mm. Uh,
1: so were, were you already interested in, were you already making chairs to some extent before you met Dave?
0: Yeah. So what had happened is, uh, uh, we, had, uh, we were living in western North Carolina on the other side of, of Asheville and Marilyn was, was teaching school and we lived back up in uh, the uh, mountains on a, on a creek and uh, uh, one day she was coming up it was in the winter time and it was a long drive, windy, windy road uh, and she almost wrecked on the road coming up mm-hmm. and uh, she came into our little cabin And made the announcement that tomorrow I was to find us a place to live down at the bottom of this mountain, and (laughs) and, you know, and it was one of those, it was one of those times when you just said, "Yes, that sounds like a good idea."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Just that statement,
0: (laughs) and it turned out to be, you know, just a huge thing that happened because I went down the mountain. I did. I found this little farmhouse, and uh, uh. there was all these people in their seventies and eighties that lived around us, and they became our, our good friends uh, we We grew gardens with them and visited with them, socialized with them and one of them was a woodworker uh, He was retired, but he still went out to his little shop every every day and uh, he started letting me uh work with him uh, but uh, and we started building some furniture, and I liked a lot of the stuff that had to do with it uh, cutting the dovetails and just all the handwork. But mm-hmm. but I just, I couldn't stand running boards through the planer, uh, the table saw, I didn't like any of that. And uh, that's when I got in a hold of Drew Langsner's first book called Country Woodcraft. I think it's going to be reprinted by Lost Art Press maybe this year. But mm-hmm. uh, I got a hold of that and then, in November of 82, Marilyn bought me Roy Underhill's first book. Uh, and we didn't have a, a TV, or maybe we had one, but we didn't watch it. But I'd never seen him before, but I'd heard about him. And <clears throat> those two combined got me interested in draw knife and shaving horse. And uh, so I built a shaving horse, and I was making some stuff, some pitchforks and some uh, some ladder back chairs and trying to figure out and I, I just loved it, but I couldn't figure out what in the world you could make, a, make to make a living at this with, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and then about that time, I, in eighty, probably just early 83, I found out that Windsors were made like that. Now, I didn't know what a Windsor chair was, like most people in the South didn't. But, uh, uh, but I looked at that chair and I went, wow, that's made with, with, these, with this green wood technique. And so the old fella there that I was working with, is Mr. Bowman is who he was, uh, Hugh Bowman. And uh, he was great. He was always open to all kinds of new stuff. And I told him I was interested in this. And he said, well, why don't, uh," he goes, I'll buy a kit from, like he bought it from like Bartley Collection or something like that, of a little child's chair. And he said, we'll put that together and then... We'll know how to make it, and we'll make those little ch- children's chairs. And so we bought a kit, and we put it together. and We were trying to make one, but it was much more complicated. We could make the parts. That wasn't any problem, but putting the chair together is the old ball of wax. That one's tough. You know, how, how do you drill these holes? How do you yeah. drill these angles? And uh, there was a, uh, a chair maker who lived down the road, Max Woody, and uh, Max knew that we were up there trying to make Windsors. And Max was walking through the mall, and Dave Sawyer, who lived in Vermont, was sitting in the Asheville Mall trying to sell a Windsor chair. Dave Dave and his family were living at Drew Langsner's farm in Madison County, North Carolina, for the summer. And uh, he had just thought there was a little craft show or something. He thought, well, I'll just do it and see if I can sell a chair down here. And so Max told him to come down to his shop. Uh, to visit and Max called me up and I went down and, uh, that meeting right there changed everything. Uh, wow. Dave, uh, Dave had, uh, little drawings. He had five pieces of paper with him that were, uh, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. And each sheet had a whole chair drawn on it. Little Whoa. tiny, little tiny seat patterns. And, oh, my. but, uh, yeah so there was five chairs there was a fan back and a sack back and a continuous arm and a comb back and a loop back and uh he gave me those drawings and told me to uh drive up to to drew's farm uh that week one day that week, and they were working on a chair and I could see how to put the bottom together so uh so that's what I did. He gave me directions to Drew's, and like I said, I already had Drew's book, so I knew who the guy was. And uh, so I drove up there and watched Dave. I was very intimidated. You know, here I was at Drew's, and he had written this book and had this farm, and here was Dave. And I don't think I said anything. I think, which is very unusual for me, but but, but uh, I usually have something to say. But I don't think I said a word. I just sat over there against the wall and watched him and uh and i I saw how he put it together and i came back and and uh, that was summer of 83 and dave gave me his address in vermont and so i wrote him letters uh, back and forth till the next spring Uh, and and i had already gone by that time i decided i was going to make these chairs full full time and so i was just you know, that's what I was doing every day, trying to figure out how to make these things, and uh, uh, and then writing Dave letters, and Dave would write me back with answers. And then one night, uh, he gave me a phone call, and uh, it was in April of 84, and he said, uh, your questions uh, are getting difficult to answer through the mail. He said, you need to come up here. So <laughs> Marilyn and I left uh, our daughter with, she's this little baby, Summer, is her name. Left her with my sister, and uh, and uh, we had we had no money, but we just packed a cooler, and we drove to Vermont and stayed at Dave's house for the week. And uh, I made a chair a chair with Dave, and uh, it was uh, you know working with him just for that week, especially after I'd already made about 15 chairs on my own. Uh, it just it just answered all the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. and I just, uh, I couldn't drive back fast enough to get, to get <laughs> I was just so excited about getting back and I still have the chair that I made with him. Uh, and, uh, so then after that, it was just, uh, it was just, you know, just keep working on it and working on it and working on it. But, uh, do,
1: do you think, do you think it was an important part of your development that you had tried and failed? Or, well, maybe not failed, sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> that you had yeah. made 15, that you had attempted 15 chairs before you went. So it was kind of like you, you know, had a lot more of sort of a baseline for comparison when you saw how he did things.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> if if I had been able to work with him, you know, that summer of 83, I I don't think I, I could have been as far along as I was by by that next summer, uh, mm-hmm. there was a lot of frustration through that through that whole winter. But uh, I, fe- I felt like at times, <laughs> at times, what reminded me I was uh, a a boxer in the ring, and he's just getting a crap beat out of him, and then the, <laughs> the bell dings and he goes over in the corner. and Marilyn was in the corner, and Marilyn would patch me up, and she would say, "Now, honey, you told me it's not easy to make these chairs. Now, get back out there and give it another try." And that's what I felt like, that should push me back out into the ring, you know, <laughs> so I get Yay, beat Marilyn. up again. <laughs> yeah, to get beat by this. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, her role in it can't be, you know, understated. It was. Uh, you you've got to have that that support because, it can get, uh, uh, you know, so defeating. Uh, you know, I mean, but the first log I got a hold of. I'm it bent great. Wow, this is easy. Wow, this wood. Look at this. I can just whittle <laughs> this out. The and then it was like three logs in a row. It, everything was just breaking on me. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. and I would just, oh, I would just say, you know, you can make a poor, you can make a chair with poorly turned legs. You can make a chair with a poorly carved seat. But if you can't bend the back, you can't make a chair.
3: No. Right.
0: If it just keeps breaking on you. There's nothing you can do about it. And, uh, oh it was it was so frustrating and and then the turning to you know the catches on the lathe constantly just constantly and uh, uh, but uh but yeah yeah it's it's good to have that 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 support and and somebody that really sees that you want to do this and uh, uh <clears throat> and uh, and in fact going back to to when i when I was first starting. Uh, Marilyn played another very important role uh, I was uh, I was uh, uh, I decided that that this is what I want to do after I made a few chairs uh, and and I was getting a few orders for furniture but not but not much and uh, so it was nothing to to cut it out so I wanted to cut out any table or anything else anybody wanted because I knew I had to concentrate 100% on these chairs this is what I wanted to do and uh uh, Marilyn listened to me, and then she said, "Okay, but if this one doesn't work, you have to get a job." And, <laughs> you, know, it, and, and uh, you know, and all all our friends said, "Well, of course." Then that scared the shit out of him. Man, he's going to get a job. <laughs> 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 gotta
2: so, make it work now. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I gotta, now this. I is love my, you, but
2: for
1: real,
0: <laughs> my wife this is my last chance and, right. uh, uh, <clears throat> and and I still never just take it for granted that I've been able to make a living at it all these years it's just been uh, you know and I, I don't know sometimes you'll hear people say well you know people have to pay their dues people have to do-. all that was fun too I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't view any of that as being I mean sure we didn't have a lot of money coming in but we didn't spend a lot of money mm-hmm. um, uh, I didn't I didn't view that as being uh, any sacrifice at all, I viewed it as being like, gone, we're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm, doing it. And uh, uh, so I just, you know, I mean, every day I walk into the shop and every day I walk into the shop and I just look around the very first thing and I say, wow, you know, I can't believe I get to do this again. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Aww. I get to do it again. And, That's so uh,
2: good.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's, Um, it's been great
2: so so curtis we've kind of talked a little bit about teaching and how important it is to to learn from somebody who can kind of show you um either in person or maybe on youtube or something um and so i just wanted to say like you publish a lot of youtube videos that people can access for free and you didn't try to monetize them in any way like there's no ads there's no you know you have to pay a certain amount of money to access them and you also have chair blueprints on your website that are offered at a price of you know donation or pay what you can can you tell us a little bit about the motivation behind that and you know it's it's pretty obvious you're investing a lot of time into that, um, by most American standards, and you don't benefit from it um, financially. I guess necessarily. Uh, why are Why are you doing that?
0: Well, I think everything's <clears throat> everything. Most things I've done are by accident, and I think that <laughs> one was totally by totally by accident. Uh, uh, I I had a, a neighbor who was uh, uh, making a chair with me we were during while he was making it i was saying you know these people keep telling me about youtube and that i ought to put a video up on there but i don't know if i don't know if i want to do that or not he he had back in the 70s he had uh, made money getting himself through college and his masters and doctorate by taking black and white photos of uh, of people's uh, children and uh, developing them, so he had a real good eye for this kind of thing. And uh, he said, uh, "Well, if you want to do that, I'd like to do it." And and I said, "Well, maybe that could be, you know, your pay for the for the for the chair, for, for making the chair with me." Mm-hmm. And uh, so one day he just walked down to the shop. I don't know that we would have ever done it even after that conversation, but he walked down to the shop with his camera, and he said time to start that video
3: and I said, Well,
0: okay I said well, I, I need to go out I need to go get a log so let's just start that so so the first one was get some logs which has just become a joke you know uh, it's the first thing you do Hey, you make a chair well get some logs is the first thing you do uh, so uh, so it started with that and we weren't paying too much attention to what we were doing and then we saw that people started watching them, and well, that got our attention, it was like, oh my goodness, uh, people are watching these things. So we started trying to do a little better. He started trying to do a little better with his filming and I tried to give a little bit more information. And uh, then, I, then I, you know, about that time I started thinking about it. I hadn't thought much about it, we were just shooting these videos and putting them up. And then I thought, well, you know what? I said, this is is a good way to get the information to the people that can't afford to take these classes that Mm -hmm. are expensive. Uh, And it's a good way to uh, advertise my my classes.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Because watching these videos is just going to make, I thought, I thought it would just make more people want to come to take a class. And uh, so both things work. Both of those work. and I was just pleased, just with that, that it was people were getting the information. That couldn't afford to take a class. They were the young guys. They're the young. They're the ones that are going to be doing this uh, full time. They're the ones that are going to be taking it places that I wasn't able to take it, and other people weren't able to take it. That that's what we need, and uh, so that was working. My classes were were filling up. I couldn't even offer enough of them. Uh, but then then what what happened was people wanted uh, the the mm. plans for the chair. Mm. And I thought, Oh my goodness, how do you do that? You know. <laughs>
2: well,
0: I don't know how you do that. Uh, you get out your <clears> notebook
2: <throat> so, paper, eight and a half by eleven and just start drawing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right
0: here. This is what you do. And so and so I, I started having the first one drawn and finally I got it drawn and offered it and uh and and people bought it, and 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 so, you know, there was a somebody told me that that I I, I made some I don't know some economist I, I don't know in Australia I don't know how he got on me I have no idea but he was using me as a as as this of what not to do uh, you know <laughs> that 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 here you've got this valuable information and 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 you're giving it uh all you know all away uh and that this was really really stupid and so I, uh you know in, in my head i wrote the guy back you know in my head <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the letters to the editor the in my head i got written. a real good <laughs> <laughs> that we've all written we write thousands yeah. of letters to the editor <laughs> uh, you know we all do, and uh so uh you know, and it was like 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 you know i i would uh, uh plead guilty to 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 giving away this 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 information but but saying you know I couldn't have planned it if if all I was looking at was just how to make money off of it, I don't think I could have planned it any better uh mm-hmm. these these uh, chair blueprints have been—they've uh, gone from bringing in just a little bit of money to being uh, a, a nice bit of our of our regular income, mm-hmm. uh, and they're a lot of fun to do. I've got 16 out now, uh, and I just—I've got all these chairs that I've designed over the years and built, and so I'm still not even halfway there. Uh, with uh, with ones that I've I've made over over the years and uh, uh, and in fact it's it's probably the the thing I like doing most right now is working with my draftsman on the next chair and then I get the rough draft from him and I build a chair to it and then mark it up and send it back to him and I just just find that that's a lot of fun uh, <laughs> and then. The uh, the classes continue to fill up from it, so it's uh, so you know. I guess it started out a little altruistic, uh, I, 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 you know I, I mean it did, but I wasn't thinking about it much. Yeah. I was just I was just saying, well, this is fun. Gary Gary and I have a great time filming. We we <laughs> laugh most of the time. We just laugh and laugh and uh, uh, uh I try to. I've got this uh. uh sometimes I'll, and I'll think on things for, 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 weeks and you never hear Gary in the background. So what I try to do is, is I'll try to sneak something in that, that makes him laugh. And, <laughs> and so one time, one time I really had something, I really had it. I was, uh, I couldn't wait to use it. And so we were filming and, and I was cleaning the glue off of, uh, off of the, uh, the chair where I just glued it up. I was cleaning the glue off the chair with a toothbrush and water and I'm sitting there getting it off and talking. And I said, now, for those of you who don't mind using power tools, you could use an electric toothbrush here. And, uh, and, uh, I, I still remember Gary had to grab his mouth. I, I got a good one on that one, but, but that's just, I mean, that's just the story just to show you how much fun that we have that we have shooting them. And, uh, and there's no pressure. Whenever he's got time to shoot them, and I've got time, and we're ready, we shoot. You know. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it 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 gives us a great social time too. And uh, and I've always been, you know, good friends with him, and he's a neighbor. But uh, but we've become even closer just shooting. You know, we've got a hundred and twenty or a hundred and thirty videos up.
1: Uh, yeah how long how long have you been doing that for
0: uh i Since think the first this year. last march was was eight eight years uh oh cool nice. and uh and then the uh the pay what you can thing came about um i was uh, uh there's a, a chair that i call the democratic chair and it's called that because it's made with the the fewest tools possible uh mm-hmm once again, to give it access to a larger portion of the the world's population because so many people uh, don't have access to to making stuff because they feel they, whether it's true or not, they feel they have to buy this or this or this. And Mm -hmm. so my idea was, uh, what's the least amount of tools I can make a chair with? I mean, Mm -hmm. let's try to eliminate every single thing I can and uh so i got it down to about 10 tools and i think one of them's like a pencil you know and the other one's an axe and yeah. <clears throat> you know and, and uh, uh so they're really simple tools and it's and it's a beautiful chair and so so because of that because giving it access to a large portion of the population not eliminating people because of their economic status uh, it's kind of the definition of of democratic and uh, so uh, so i i i really stole that from uh, uh, from Bill Copperthwaite. He uh, he coined the term democratic tool, which was mm-hmm. the same thing, a, a simple tool that anybody could, could own. And so uh, I guess I was a little presumptuous to, to use his term, but I felt <laughs> it fit it. So so I, I used it. I hope Bill's okay with it. Bill's not alive now, but I still hope he's okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, uh, so then I was, uh, uh, I was working on this chair to, to make the plans available, uh, to everybody. And, uh, and it was my, uh, my son-in-law, uh, who, when I was telling him about it, he said, you know, you ought to put those plans up at digital and have people just be able to pay what they can. That goes with the theme of the whole, democratic thing because the plans are $60, which eliminates a huge amount of people. So it was Russell's, uh, Russell's idea. And, uh, the, the guy who does my website was able to, uh, you know, find out how to, uh, uh, how to do that. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's been great. Um, and so now I've got, I've got three or four things. Pay what you can, and I'm getting ready to come out with the Democratic armchair probably this month, oh, and cool. uh, and it will go on there. It will go on there too. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, and and you know what's what's wonderful is that uh, you can you can get this for nothing, which which hundreds and hundreds of people have. I don't keep up with how many have. I see it come across, but I just you know go on. Uh, and then you can pay something, and hundreds of people have done that too. Or you can order the hard copy plans. And what's amazing is that even though you can get it for free, the hard copy of the Democratic chair is outselling all my other chairs <laughs> <laughs> so cool. really every month. That's so cool. Every month, every month it outsells any of the other chairs. And wow. I just think that's just... I think that's just great. Yeah, <laughs> I love that's it. That's fantastic. <clears throat> yes. um,
1: uh, yeah. I was going to add to that that this is being recorded in early May. So by the time this episode comes out, uh chances are that um that that other chair will already be released.
3: Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, and so in fact I'm right, I'm working on the the uh, another version of the orange chair right now, Jeff, uh my draftsman. Has sent me the uh, uh, another proof of the plans and uh, with my changes on it, and so because I can't tell what changes need to be made or, or or vet the plans both. So it's both it's both dialing in the chair and also vetting vetting the plans. And uh, so I'm right in the middle of of working on uh, on on that one, which is just a lot of fun too. So
3: yeah.
2: Um, So, Curtis, I think from the conversations you and I have had about Greenwood, uh, the organization and your involvement in Central America, I think that there's a correlation between your um, interest in creating the Democratic chair with as few tools as possible um, and your experience in Central America. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, so Greenwood is a community-based sustainable forestry initiative in uh, Latin America, and it was started by uh, Brian Boggs and Scott Landis and me in uh, and ninety two is when we first started working on it. Ninety three was the first was the first trip, and it was a value-added product. So <clears throat> it was it was kind of recognizing the fact that the forest. Inhabitants a lot of times are the are part of the problem in deforestation, but they're also the solution and the the their' part of the problem stems from the fact that they live in predatory societies and they they they're trying just to eat, they're trying to feed their family and they're doing it any way that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair for us to say uh, that forest is very important for for everybody. Whenever we destroyed our forest up here, you know the temperate mm-hmm. forests are just more resilient and come back. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so you know you have to give them the, uh, an alternative to being able to feed their families, and uh, <clears throat> and so that's where we came up with this idea about teaching Greenwood. Uh, chair-making and other greenwood uh, projects too, but mainly it was chair-making that we started with. And so we started working in Honduras on the north coast. Uh, uh, The the rainforest is in the north coast of Honduras and uh, especially over in the the northeast side. Uh, And uh, so we started working working there and teaching post and rung chairs. Uh, Everything was challenging about it, but we had some good success and then in um, after about three years I think it was 96 um, I wanted to introduce a a Windsor type chair Uh, so a plank seat something very different than they'd been doing and uh, so it was real important that I eliminate every tool I possibly could because these people don't have the access to the tools they're remote and they're poor uh so that was the first time I came up with this chair that I eventually called the uh, the Democratic Chair. And uh so oh, nice. the workshop was successful uh down there and different versions of that chair are still being made down there. Um, and uh and I did I got so excited about it here that when I came back it's all I wanted to teach because it's what people needed to make to start with. They you know and 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 I'm just like them. If I was gonna take a class on chair making or on book binding, you know, I wanna build the trophy chair, you know. I want I mm-hmm. want to build this fine looking piece that everybody ooze and awes whenever they come into my living room. I don't wanna, you know, hit shag balls at the at the golf course, but <laughs> but that's what you need to do. <clears throat> you know, that's what you need to do. You need to yeah. sit there and work that draw knife over and over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. till you learn at least one tool, and the most important tool, the draw knife. And uh, so uh, I decided that my classes were going to be very pure, and this is all I was going to offer, and nobody signed up for the class. Mm-hmm. And so, as I like <laughs> to say, I told them they can make whatever they wanted to and <laughs> just pay me. <laughs> so, and that worked. <laughs> that worked. So I just taught all those chairs for all those years, and then a few years ago, I just happened to look up and think, "Wow, I bet there's an interest in this this simple chair now because there's this huge interest in bow carving and spoon carving, uh, and and each year it just seems to be exponential." that uh, Mm -hmm. people getting into it and you know and it's a it's a reaction you know it's a reaction to a small shop being able to own a cnc machine you know where do you stop where do you stop with this stuff and Mm -hmm. uh uh you know do you want to do woodwork or do you want to set up you know, if, mm-hmm. if and you might like to set up stuff. That's that's fine. Set up the machine and let it do the work. But that's not what I want to do, and that's not what a lot of people want to do. They want to do the work themselves. They want to hold the tool in their hand, and they don't want to give away that to a to a machine. Um, and uh, and it's so easy to give it away to the machine, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you have discretionary income, which a lot of these people do that come to the classes, but. That you could feel this movement coming of people saying no i don't care if i can afford it i want to know how to do it with just this knife right here mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so uh so i resurrected the chair <laughs> from from the grave <laughs> and uh and i thought i would uh, have the design down pat within a month and have the plans out soon after that and uh but I'm always delusionary about that stuff it <laughs> It took me over a year of you know it's just like the minimalistic approach in music or anything uh it 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 makes what is there more important. and yeah, you, know, you have a rock band out there playing with six or seven instruments, and you can't tell what the hell's going on. But you've got, <laughs> you've got one guy picking on his guitar, uh, and uh, and and the space between the notes becomes just as important as the notes themselves, and mm. and so that's what happens whenever you start stripping away all of the the slick stuff from where the typical Windsor chair had gone and all the carvings and all the fancy turnings and the carved knuckles and all these bells and whistles that draw your eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lines of the chair really even become more important. They've always been important, but they did even become more important. And uh, without nailing the edges, those hard edges, you have nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can only nail those hard edges and those cuts with proficiency from the draw knife and so uh so it struck a a chord with people and and so it's it's done real well and i'm just and it's like it's got a life of its own now it's it's the democratic chair it's not curtis's chair it's not curtis's (laughs) democratic chair it's the Uh, democratic chair and i I like that that's what i wanted it to do uh Mm -hmm. you know that's awesome so i see people offering it now to to make it in classes, and some schools are starting to offer it, and uh, I, I want that to happen. I want it to have a life of its of its own and uh, go off. You know, it's like something I've given birth to, and now it has to go out on its own and find itself. <laughs> and I have to let it go. And yeah. and so so I like that. That's been it's been great to see that.
2: It's oh, really yeah. good, Curtis. Outside of chair making. What else are you interested in? And this can be anything. You know, you talked about a little bit about your garden. I know that you kind of like spoon carving. So, can you? Our last it? interview,
1: yeah. he said flying an airplane. So yeah, it yeah. It can really be anything. It can well, really I mean, be anything. Wow. Well, no, yeah.
0: <laughs> not me. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, years and years ago, I was I was interested in uh, uh, in traveling. Uh, now I travel more through National Geographic, but uh, <laughs> uh, I find that nice, sit in front of the fire, and you read mm-hmm. about these adventures and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's great. Whereas used to, I couldn't even stand to read of somebody else's adventures in a National Geographic, because I wanted to go there, and I wanted to oh. do that. And uh, uh, and I was really obsessed with it, and spent years on, on the road. Uh, And go into these places, and then even after I was married, Marilyn and I took a couple of trips, and then when the girls got uh, old enough, we started uh, taking some some trips. Uh, But uh, you know, I uh, I think sometimes we hate to admit that we are exactly like everybody else, and just (laughs) human as can be. And now I'm older. And I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I did it before, and I had great fun. But but uh, I just like it, it you know, staying here at the house, like everybody else. That's (laughs) we just get so comfortable, you know. We we not only. Want to sleep in our bed but we want our pillow and we want the person <laughs> beside us that's been there for 40 years you know yeah i <laughs> want this stuff and there's nothing wrong with with that and uh so now uh what i uh well I lo- i've always liked gardening growing vegetables and growing flowers both mm. and uh and marilyn takes part in that too so we both uh, uh you know love love to do that and that's where a lot of our time is, is spent um, as far as just outside of um, our house area here uh, one thing that I've been heavily involved with is the local food movement and uh, and and i'm real passionate about it i think i think i think that it uh, uh, that it offers an answer to a whole lot of what ails us as a society I mean mm-hmm. it, it, it answers the issues of of environmental issues of social issues <coughs> of of uh, economic issues uh, I helped start the farmers market in town thirteen or fourteen years ago and mm-hmm. I can remember one day uh, uh, it, you know we had these uh, uh, we had these uh, uh, girls selling at the market uh, and uh, you know they were quite quite edgy, you know, with pink hair and 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 tattoos and et cetera et cetera. And <laughs> I forget I forget what it was that they were that they were selling, uh, but they always had a good time. They always liked to laugh and all this stuff. And uh, and this one market they were set up right up next to the to the pork farmer, just this old country guy pork farmer. And he didn't have a tent. He just pulled his truck up, you know. And so it started raining, and I looked over. And there he was, underneath that tent, with those girls, and they were laughing and talking <laughs> and just having the best time and I looked at that, and I said, "That's what this is all about so oh, that's, that's awesome what,
3: that's what it's all about and yeah.
0: uh so i think I think it really really can answer a whole lot of our our you know our, our issues, and a lot of times we key just on the ones that are the obvious, such as that footprint economic impact uh you know better food keeping the keeping the the uh, the money the money local recirculating circulate the, the money uh all of this and all that's real important but there's some other stuff just like getting people together that would never ever get together uh mm-hmm. i think is maybe even more important am I'm, i don't even i don't even sit on the board i went off the board uh, this last January so it's my first time in 13 years that I'm not helping run uh the market or our little local food grocery store that was a spin off of it uh and uh it's uh it's it it's been good I think I've been I mean I'm no longer involved in Greenwood uh mm-hmm. in uh, Latin America uh I went off the board probably 10, 10 years ago and that was that was really a passion in my life for a long time and uh uh but and I thought I would have a hard time separating from it same way as a hard time from the farmers' market, but I didn't have a hard time at all. uh mm-hmm. I walked away from the last board meeting, and that's that's been it. A lot of my good friends are still real involved in it, and it's it's really rare when we get together that we're that we're talking about it uh mm-hmm. i'm not I'm not asking any questions other than just you know. When's the market going to open or when are we, you know, just questions like Mm -hmm. that, not discussing Mm -hmm. policy or or anything. So, so it's been, uh, it's been real easy for me to let, you know, those are two things that I started, uh, I was the founder of and, uh, and I was so involved in them and and engaged so much of my time, but we've got good people involved in both of them running them. And so I have no problem. Uh, handing it, handing it over, and uh, I guess the the there's there's a syndrome I've heard about called the founder syndrome. Uh, hmm. I don't I, I'm I don't have that. I, I, don't, I, don't have,
3: I don't have a problem with saying no,
0: no You can do a better job uh, than than uh, than I'm doing. You can take it, uh, you know, to the next level.
1: uh, Yeah, no, um, I think that's a, I really like that perspective because I mean, it shouldn't always just be stuck on that one initial vision, like eventually whoever started it, whoever started something isn't going to be around forever. And so if that like idea is going to be nurtured and grow into something else or something bigger then you have to like, I mean, learn how to let those things move on and be what they're going to be. So I think that's a super awesome perspective. Kind of like the Democratic chair.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 I like that. So, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: yeah so that's, I guess there's, you know, I love uh, our little town and socialization in our town is such a, is such a huge part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the little coffee shop. I mean, I was saying everybody's supporting the coffee shop by buying coffee to go, uh, even when really what the coffee shop is about is about socialization. Uh mm-hmm. it's, it's not really about drinking coffee. <laughs> it's
3: about <laughs> right. and right.
0: uh and that's why you go down there and sit, uh, you're liable to see people. Same way as our our small brewery that's uh in town. Uh mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing. It's it's to get out and and see people and, and visit and mm-hmm. so that's that's uh an interest, you know, that always yeah. will be uh and our little town does it does it real well. Uh,
1: no, it's cool. I know Will talked about that a little bit um in his we interviewed him for our, our first interview and he mentioned how you know moving out of 50 acres in rural Georgia and then moving <clears throat> into town in East Tennessee um he was like, yeah, it's totally you know, being in like a mo- I like that he called it an urban environment. I guess just by <laughs> <my> comparison. <laughs> but yeah, he did mention that kind of like, you know, people just pop by the shop and that was something that he, you know, it was an adjustment, but one he seems to be enjoying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's something with having my shop right in my backyard and the neighbors live around it. And, uh, you know, I've heard, well, uh, I, I guess people in their shops can view it, can view it different ways and I'm sure there's a lot of them that view it the same way I view it but but you know I view it as a an honor that my I mean my neighbors don't come by asking me to do all kinds of stuff all day long but when they do need my help I feel honored that I'm there and I can break free of my work at any time and I can I can help them there's a a family that lives right behind the shop and, uh, there's four kids over there and, the the father's a good, a good friend of mine and he, uh, but he never is, he's not the kind of guy to, to work on anything, you know, outside mm-hmm. the house or, or even in the house, you know, <laughs> he goes to work and, <laughs> and, uh, he's a great guy and he's a great father, but his kids always would come over to the shop for me to, to, uh, make a slingshot for them or, mm. or fix something toy that they had that was that was broken and uh, I always I always thought that was great you know yeah that they that they were that comfortable with coming over and coming into my shop and now they're the the twins are the youngest ones they're 13 and I just see the twins walk through the backyard all the time now and they'll holler at me and they may stop to talk. But the, the two older kids now are are starting to stop and talk more again. Uh mm-hmm. like they did whenever they were small. Uh, oh, that's cool. And yeah, yeah. In fact, uh uh the uh the the son is is uh, I guess Tom has just turned seventeen and he's going into this is the end of his junior year and he loves the to, to climb. He's he's uh uh you know been doing some rock climbing and he always goes to these uh, climbing walls so at the college just up the road there there's a there's a climbing wall there and of course the climbing walls shut down during this pandemic and so he came to me the other day and <clears throat> he asked me if i could possibly build him a climbing wall and i said mm. tom i gotta think i gotta think about this one i said <laughs> so <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know what a climbing wall was so i was <laughs> online and i looked at him and I'm like, well, it's doable. It's not yeah. a small job, but it's yeah. it's doable. And uh, so I talked to uh, Eric the other day. And uh, so for those you don't know, Eric's a, a, a young guy, well, young. He's thirty, uh, who's been apprenticing some with me, and has is now moved into town. But uh, and Eric's been a carpenter too. And uh, so I told Eric, I said, Eric, I said, what do you think? you think we could do this? And he said,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. I
0: think, I think we could do it. I, I think we could do it. And I said, okay, let's see if we can find a plan first. And he uh, said, we'll get Will we'll get Will in on it. Uh, you know? And I thought, you know, maybe we could get everybody in on it. Hold it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We can't get everybody yeah, yeah. in on it. But,
3: but so,
0: Anyway, that's where we are right now with it. But yeah, I've always, uh, I've I've, I've, you know, I've always enjoyed. I know there's a little video on my uh, on my website about me talking about the sounds of the town and uh, and you know and that was something that that just occurred to me slowly over the years is how important these sounds were uh, to me. I, you know, I always thought Marilyn and I would live out in the, the mountains somewhere and you would know, have to backpack to our house or whatever. <laughs> Marilyn says, "You'd be miserable back there, Curtis." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you love to talk to people. <laughs> and, <laughs> so uh uh so anyway, uh, uh but you know, you slowly start realizing how important these sounds are uh to you, you know, the train that comes through and the courthouse clock and I mean there's natural sounds too, the uh the birds and the little the woodpecker that keeps, you know, pounding on my pounding on my shop but uh but, you know it's 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 the sounds of uh the sounds of the neighbors talking or or starting their car just all these things the mail truck coming by uh all these sounds that happen every day that you know and uh, uh you know you know them so well all the way down to knowing exactly whose car that is
3: uh, just from
0: the sound <laughs> of it or the way they drive and uh uh, and all that's become, you know, real, real important. And I, I, I think that's important to a lot of people's lives. They might not, they might not realize it. But, uh, but if you took those sounds away, you know, if the train stopped coming up the tracks, we'd eventually look up and go, "I don't believe I've heard a train today. <laughs>
3: what's, <laughs> going,
0: <laughs> what's going on?" Then I think all those sounds are comforting to, mm-hmm. uh, and, and help us concentrate on our own work because we realize that everything else is going along and everybody's doing, you know, the mail just got delivered and mm-hmm. et cetera. And, uh, so,
1: so you kind of see it as like giving you a sense of place or, I mean, I just know thinking I'm just thinking about working from my house and when I have the windows thrown open, like I do during the springtime, um, you know, it's just constant small motors and it drives me nuts because it's just like, it's almost like a weed whacker relay race. As soon as like one person finishes their yard, then the next one kicks on and it's just incessant all day long. And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, does it sort of just give you a sense of normalcy or a sense of place or what is that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I mean, if it was weed whackers all the time and leaf blowers, uh, (laughs) that would, that would get a little much. Uh, uh, <laughs> that one, that one, that one would. Uh, I couldn't hear all the other, uh, all the other sounds. You know, I mean, uh, Marcy, Marcy's little dog uh, uh, comes out on the on the porch, and uh, he's blind and can't hear, and she lets him out for thirty minutes, and it's a little, it's a little uh, dachshund. And mm-hmm. so it comes mm-hmm. out on our porch and and it's, it's across the creek. So it's, it's a, not, I'm, I can see her house from my shop, but it's still a little ways over there. But, uh, but the, the dog barks incessant. But, <laughs> but you know, you know that that's Marcy's dog and she right. only lets him bark for 30 minutes.
3: <laughs> and it's okay. You yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, if he was out there for four hours, it would be a little much, but it's okay. Yeah. And because it's okay, you soon don't even hear him after a bit. Oh, you might hear him again go, Oh, yeah, he's still out, you know, <laughs> but you aren't really, it's not getting to you because you yeah. know it's going to end in 30 minutes and she's going to bring him back. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hear that with the weed whackers going. I'd...
2: Yeah. So, Curtis. Uh, who's someone inside of chair making, or even like green woodworking that you admire, and then maybe someone outside of your craft?
0: Yeah, uh, gosh, inside the craft, I mean, there's there's so many I couldn't even really <laughs> point point one out. Uh, I mean, certainly the the uh, uh, some of the apprentices that I've been uh, just really able to work with, and mm-hmm. like like Kim, for instance, who you had uh, mm-hmm. on one of these, and uh Ailey Bazzari, uh, mm-hmm.
3: uh,
0: and uh, well, there's another, and Andy Jack, and now, now Eric, and, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I really uh, uh, just admire them for what they've what they've done and they're 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 so at ease with who they are uh you know i've I've always learned a lot from from those guys and uh i know one time uh <clears throat> tim tim spent seven months with me about uh i guess it's been about twelve maybe twelve years ago and uh ten or twelve and uh when he packed up to leave. He was standing at the door of the shop, and and I said, Tim, I said, you know, there's one thing that I've really learned from you, and that is when I'm getting ready to make a tool handle or repair the shaving horse or whatever it is, just stop and do it right. Don't use duct tape, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> just stop and do it right. And Tim laughed, and he said, and hey, Gave me that Tim grin that he always gives, and he goes, well, Curtis, that's interesting because I've what I've learned from you. The main thing is don't let anything get in the way of making a chair. <laughs> he said, Your bending forms are falling apart, but yet, but yet, you still think you can get one more chair bend out of it before you have to stop and make them. <laughs> and we said, Well. Maybe maybe there's a compromise there between the, the two of us, but uh, oh man, but all of it so good, yeah, it's perfect. But all of you know, all of them have 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 had these qualities that I uh that I admire, uh, you know, admire in them, and uh, uh, so you know, I guess it would it would be those, you know, those guys more than mm-hmm. more than anybody. Anybody else? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there, I, I I certainly look at the the quality of work that some other people are are doing, and that's that's always in, inspiring for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's inspiring for me to see quality work in in anything. I mean, at watching watching live music, uh, I can be sitting there watching somebody. You know, live live music. Pick the guitar. You know, who's just excellent, and it makes me want to go to my shop and work on chairs. It's really strange. <laughs> I sit there and get oh boy, I can't wait to get back there tomorrow and work on <clears throat> work, work on these chairs. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, outside of the the, of the craft, there's you know, there's there's so many people, and you you know. I was, I was thinking when I looked at that question the other day, that's the one that I probably thought the most on. The others, mm-hmm. you know, you can answer off the top of my head, but that one I thought, huh, who, who, who would that be? And you know, it's like a lot of things. Uh, uh, you don't see the obvious until you think on it for a while. And yep. the obvious is definitely my dad. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just no doubt, no doubt about it. It's uh, you know trying to emulate him in my shop. And he didn't make. He, he wasn't a craftsman at all. He he sold uh, hardware for a for a hardware store. He was on the road salesman for them. But he came from a, a farm, a poor farm in uh, in western North Carolina, just right on the Tennessee line. Uh, but, uh, but dad loved, um, uh, he's still alive, he's 97, but he can't, can't do much anymore. But he, he loved work and he loved physical work. And, I uh, I like, I like physical work too. Uh, I think, I think it really, uh, is I think it's just good for you. It, 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 uh, mm-hmm. it does so much and, uh, and it's so satisfying, but when, when, uh, Dad always, when he would get ready, when we would get ready to do something, uh, it was his patience with getting ready for the job that I tried to slow myself down. Because my mom does things real fast. And, uh, uh, you know, we we always knew who opened up the uh, half gallon of ice cream whenever (laughs) the lid was ripped off of it. (laughs) That was mom. I don't want to take any time with this stuff. I want to get to it. But but Dad's one to get everything ready, get all his tools ready, get them all clean, and then start to work, and then work at a nice pace. And and Mm -hmm. you look at him, you don't think he's getting anything done, but at the end of the day, he's done more than anybody else, and Mm -hmm. he he hasn't wore himself out, and he quits in plenty of time to clean his tools up and put them all up. Uh, you know, if he's used a shovel, he's gonna clean it and oil it and put it back. Uh, and I think, you know, that's that's uh, such a good way to get things done and get things done uh, right. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll never do it the way he does it because I got so much of my mom in me which she's got her, her good qualities, too. She gets things done. <laughs> she definitely gets things done. And she's still alive, too, at 94 and getting things done. But uh, uh, And then the other thing about uh, dad, I think the two biggest things are the, the patience and, uh, and, and the optimism. Uh, even now, uh, they, they still live in their house, and I'm over there. Helping them out all the time, along with mother, brothers, and sisters. But uh, uh, what Dad will talk about now is what a nice day it is. It's always a nice day, boy. It's a wonderful day, and it's <laughs> it wonderful that they got this uh, this place to live. And so everything's always positive and good. And uh, mm-hmm. him and I, uh, we uh, we grew Christmas trees for about thirty five thirty five years. And from '77 to oh, I forget 2012, I think, is when we finally uh, harvested our last ones. Uh, but it was on the farm, on the family land farm that he was from over, over in North Carolina. It's an hour from here, so we'd drive over and and work on work on the trees. And mm-hmm. we never not made much much money off of it at all, but it gave us a common goal. To work on together, uh, being as we couldn't talk politics or religion, it was uh, it was good to supersede that with your, with 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 your dad and uh, and so uh, we, uh, uh, but I remember um, uh, one day we were up there working on the trees and uh, it it drizzled on us all all day long and we worked and worked and worked and at the end of the day we were putting up our tools. And, Dad said, Well, Kurt, it rained on us all day, but it was a warm rain. <laughs> <laughs> and I, went, I went, Yeah, yeah, Dad, it was a warm rain. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <That's so laughs> harsh. And,
0: and and it was always like that. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was. There was always uh, he would always twist it to where mm. it was something positive, you know, it was always Always optimistic, and and when things didn't go right, he uh, he just wouldn't make a move. You know, he would just sit there and uh, just think. He wouldn't wouldn't get excited over it. Wouldn't do anything. He would just uh, sit there and mull it over, and uh, then you know then he'd speak and say, "Well, I guess we'll just have to go on back to the house then." And, uh, <laughs> he, he said, <laughs> yeah, one time we uh, we were going to harvest trees, and harvesting trees is the only time we'd hire people, cause you gotta you gotta get those things cut and baled in a day, and uh, and Dad and I working together could cut oh I don't know six or eight hundred trees in, in in a day, uh, wow. and uh, but. Uh, uh, but we had to get a bunch of trees on the ground to get ahead of the, the workers because the workers would be grabbing them and bailing them and all that. And uh, uh, and so we got up there the day before to start cutting them. And of course we get all our tools ready, get the chainsaw sharpened uh, and uh, get everything right and then we start cutting. And we probably got about 50, 50 trees cut and it started snowing. and it built up so fast that within just minutes we couldn't we couldn't see the bottom of the tree in order to cut it. It was it was mm-hmm. just piling up, and uh, so we we quit and we got all our stuff in the truck and got back in the truck to go. And Dad said, "Well now Kurt, now this gave us a chance to get all of our tools ready, tuned up. Now tomorrow we'll be ready to go."
3: <laughs> yeah
0: no you've got a choice you can have that attitude or you can have the other attitude and there's no reason not to have that one uh, right. so I try to try to have it as much as I can
2: well, I think you succeed <laughs> yeah oh. I'll see. yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. oh man um, so, Curtis, if someone wants to see more of your work or maybe take a class, where can they find you?
0: Uh, I've got a website, uh, curtisbucannonchairmaker dot com, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, they can go to, and that's really the the place. Yeah, the only place. Great. Mm-hmm.
1: Easy, easy enough.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Th- thank you so much, Curtis. It was really great hearing some anecdotes and getting a little <laughs> bit of hearing more of the lineage. Uh, I guess this uh, sub subtext for this show is just looking to see the history of chair making in America.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Next up, we have an interview with Weta Vincent, hobby woodworker, financial advice enthusiast and medical doctor. To get a glimpse into these surprisingly complimentary worlds. Here's a clip from that interview.
2: There's not a whole lot of difference between a carving tool and a scalpel, okay? <laughs> so, but you, you, you don't take a carving tool into the operating room, and you You're don't, right. but you might bring a scalpel into your wood shop, okay? So.
1: <laughs> okay, Humble, take it away.
2: Please feel free to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And rate and review us because it helps with the show's visibility.
1: Yes, thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Super important to help people find the show, so thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, thanks to everyone who's contributed to our Patreon account. Every dollar helps us bring you meaningful and entertaining interviews and enables us to build a community that supports folks trying to get into handcraft.
1: Yay! And thanks to our new patrons, John. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yay! I'm trying to thank John. (laughs) Okay, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, uh, John, uh, Louise, and someone who wishes to remain anonymous for your generous contributions to the show. Um, What else we got? T-shirts! Thank you for your patience to everyone who has pre-ordered a T-shirt. We're placing the order at the end of the month, so I guess it'll be... If you'd like to get in on it, the clock is ticking. We're ordering it on A August thirtieth. <laughs> <laughs> um and also we one of our listeners, Kiko Denzer, sent us a very sweet care package. Yes. Um it had some some spoons.
2: Well, I mean he sent this really it was just so nice, like totally out of the blue, like, you know, asked if he could send us some some thoughts and I was like, Okay, yeah, send us that and uh it was like a little card from his son and like a two-page written uh, letter that was just so thoughtful. And so, uh, yeah, we just wanted to tell him thank you for that. And that was really nice.
1: Yeah. And honestly, Kiko, if you're listening right now, it would probably make a great side project if you're down to let us share some of your insights. So yeah. thanks again.
2: Yeah, it was great. Um, also, so you can follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guest's work and stay up to date on happenings and releases. You can find us both on Instagram at umble and at bhbeidler. If you have any questions, interview requests, or other crafts you would like to see represented, please email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com.
1: And as always, we are forever grateful to those who help make this podcast possible. Thanks, Brad Vetter, for your graphic design. Our good friends, the High Divers, for letting us use your tunes our resident poet Justin Williams for your commercial wizardry and to Luke Mitchell of the high divers for your help and advice with the technical side of things. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it.
2: Thanks. See you next time.